they said, oh, these ladies came and they built this house. And we thought, are the ladies able to build the house? And then two weeks later, there was this really amazing house that was so strong. And all the men in the neighborhood came to look at the house and ask the women how they built it. And I've actually never seen such a successful gender empowerment program. The future of work for women in the Pacific Islands, this week on In Asia, from the Asia Foundation. I'm John Rieger. And I'm Tracy Yang. A year without tourists has shaken the vacation destinations of the Pacific. As these island nations begin to think about their post-COVID recovery, a new report from the Asia Foundation spotlights some deep economic inequalities that could spell more trouble in a future of new technologies in a changing climate. Joining us today are Ellen Bocuzzi, author of The Future of Work for Women in the Pacific Islands, and Sandra Krausar, the Foundation's Pacific Islands director. Their co-author of a concise discussion of the new research in this week's blog. Ellen and Sandra, welcome to In Asia. Thank you for having us. Delighted to be here. Sandra, the Pacific Islands office is the Asia Foundation's newest. Can you give us an overview of the territory? Yeah, so you might be surprised to hear that the Pacific Islands region actually covers uh, about 36% of the Earth's surface. It is made up of 550,000 square kilometers of land and 180 million square kilometers of ocean. So they see themselves as the ocean states rather than land-based states. What are some of the familiar names? There's particular groupings. So we can have a look at Polynesia. There's Tonga, Samoa, Kiribati. We have Palau and Marshall Islands and Federated States of Micronesia up in the north. They're known as microstates. We have Papua New Guinea. Um, Fiji, of course, in the Melanesian states, along with Solomon Islands and Vanuatu. There's also a population of around 7 million people, over 2,000 inhabited islands. So it's a vast region. Ellen, you're the author of the new research report. When you look at the future of work for women in the Pacific Islands, what factors are distinctive of this region at this time? So I wanted to start by thanking the Asia Foundation's Women's Empowerment and Gender Equality Program for commissioning this research. Across the Pacific Islands, there are pronounced gender disparities in labor market participation, with many more men working than women, period. In addition, there are gender pay gaps for the same level of work, and there's a significant difference in the types of work that men and women are doing, with men overwhelmingly working in industries such as construction and transport, while women are disproportionately employed in industries like education and healthcare. Overall, most of the employees in the Pacific work in fishing and agriculture, but men are more likely to hold formal jobs in these sectors. So prior to the pandemic, many women in the Pacific were actually working in subsistence agriculture or fishing, just, you know, growing food or fishing for their families. And if there was any surplus at the end of the day, selling that in local markets for income. There are also very high levels of unemployment in the region, and this is a particular concern for young women. The pandemic has been particularly hard on tourism everywhere for obvious reasons, but the tourism industry in the Pacific Islands was already part of the problem in many ways, according to your essay, was it not? Yeah, so there are positives and negatives, right? On on the one hand, tourism is an important driver for economic growth across the Pacific. A third of the formal jobs in Fiji, Vanuatu, and the Cook Islands are tourism jobs. Beyond that, many more informal jobs are linked to the industry. So for every two formal jobs that are created in tourism, three more jobs are created indirectly. 
There are also some negatives. Many in the industry have precarious work arrangements, things like seasonal employment, part-time hours or even excessive hours where people are working very long hours, and informal hiring practices. There are also significant gender disparities in the type and level of work done by men and women in tourism. So in Fiji, about two-thirds of university students in tourism are women, but women have only about one quarter of the professional and managerial positions in the industry. And instead, most of those women are working in low-wage jobs um, at the front desk or in cleaning. Ellen, the pandemic has been a temporary disruption, if a revealing one. But looking at the longer term, we can foresee much greater disruption from advancing technology and the big one, uh, climate change. Tell us a bit about how these will affect women in work. Sure. Most workers in the region are employed in the sectors at greatest risk of climate change, agriculture, fisheries, and tourism. In addition, the pandemic has been accelerating the use of technology, both for remote work and for communication. And women risk being left behind in this transition due to a lack of certain skills or because their jobs may be automated. So then returning to the central question, what can be done to create a more equitable future of work in the Pacific Islands? I have a really quite a simple message. Put your gender and inclusion goggles on (laughs) because you have to really ask, will this policy, will this program, will this change actually affect men and women differently? So just pop your goggles on. One of the low-hanging fruits would be creating green jobs in the agricultural sector where most of the workforce is already working, together with creating new jobs in emerging green industries. So opportunities include things like organic farming, green building, recycling and waste management, as well as renewable energy. One thing that's important to mention here with regard to putting our goggles on is that when new jobs are created in things like renewables or manufacturing or construction, for the most part, they're going to men. So what we need is uh, targeted skills training, first of all, particularly for women in areas of green employment where new and better paying jobs will be created in the coming years. ICT training for work across all sectors. Uh, ICT, Information and Communications Technology. You think everybody's going to need that training? Correct. An important part of this is apprenticeship programs that can help bring women into male-dominated fields. And there's an interesting opportunity here for the advancement of women in these fields, fields such as construction and renewables, Um, Because there's currently a skills gap in the Pacific Islands with large numbers of the higher level jobs actually going to migrants from abroad rather than to the local labor force because of a skills mismatch. So on the one hand, you have high levels of unemployment among um, the local population, and then you also have people coming in to take uh, the higher level jobs. So there's a real opportunity here for upskilling the local labor force to actually take on these jobs. About a year or so ago, I had the opportunity to go visit a a pilot project conducted in Fiji by Habitat for Humanity, where they were training women to work in construction. And they um, gave them courses on construction, also had an apprenticeship program where women built climate resilient houses. And it was incredibly effective. And it was so interesting to interview the people in the communities. And they said, oh, you know, these ladies came and they built this house. And we thought are the ladies able to build the house? And then two weeks later, there was this really amazing house that was so strong. And all the men in the neighborhood came to look at the house and ask the women how they built it. And I've 
actually never seen such a successful gender empowerment <laughs> program because within two weeks, everybody in the community was convinced that women could be construction workers, that they were bringing important knowledge into the community. And a number of the families you know, sort of asked these women to mentor their sons to become and their daughters to become construction workers. So it really is possible to have effective programs that bring women into these traditionally male-dominated fields. Sandra, in your blog post with Ellen this week, you quote author and environmentalist Susanna Arundhati Roy as saying we should see the pandemic as a portal between one world and the next. What do you take from that remark? Yes, I can remember reading this blog post quite early in the pandemic. And I have to give credit to Amber Parks, Anam Pavez, and Dana Stevoff, who mentioned Arantari Roy's work. It's really, I think, looking at the opportunities for this more just feminist future. But it helps us really think about where are the gender divides in employment, incomes and types of work? And then what are the aspirations? How can we support people that they're able to choose rather than being stuck in an old form of employment? Is this an opportunity to reset? It's really, I think, a portal into a new way of thinking about how our economies work. Sandra Kraushaar and Ellen Bakuzi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Thanks, Tracy. That's all for this edition of In Asia. For more on the future of work for women in the Pacific Islands, be sure to visit this week's blog, where you'll also find links to Ellen's deeply researched report. And you can hear more stories like this one from the world of international development by visiting us at In Asia, one word, and subscribing to the In Asia podcast. Highly recommended. Until next time, I'm Tracy Yang. And I'm John Rieger. Thanks for listening.